Okay, well, let's, let's start our study. We're going to talk, do an introduction today, but before we do our introduction, when you think of the Old Testament, what comes to your mind? What are some thoughts that you have about the Old Testament? Do you spend a lot of time there? How does it apply to your life? What are some thoughts that you might have when it comes to the Old Testament? Maybe you'll be honest and you say, I spend a lot of time in the New Testament, George. I don't really pay much attention to the Old Testament. So where are you at? Brian? Okay, so Brian says he doesn't read it much because he has trouble understanding, but he understands the New Testament much better. Okay? All right, that's a good honest. Sam? Okay, so you see a lot of God's judgment in the Old Testament. Okay, Rob. Okay, so the law. You see the law a lot there. In fact, the first five books of the Old Testament, there's the Pentateuch, which is called the law. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little bit here. Okay, anybody else? What are your thoughts as you, do you get asked questions about the Old Testament a lot? Or something about, Bruce says, no, I don't get asked questions about that at all. Okay? Anybody else? What if you were asked questions about the Old Testament? What would you do? I had a pretty long uh, talk with a man one time about Adam and Eve, and then where all the descendants come from, and how uh, uh, Cain, where he, who he married, and how he got, you know. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, so, how, how do you just launch into it? Did that guy bring it up, or did you? I think I brought it up, but uh, we were driving, and we were going to a job that we had to go through. We just started talking about it. Okay. All right. We probably talked for a good hour about it. Okay, good. Anybody else? Do you ever get asked weird questions, like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? No, they didn't, obviously, right? Okay. All right, so let's talk about the Old Testament, because to be honest with you, Jesus referred to the Old Testament all the time he referred to the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul all the time referred to the Old Testament. Peter refers to the Old Testament. James, I mean, they all refer to the Old Testament. So we're going to talk about the Old Testament today. So Next week, we're going to launch right into it, into Genesis, okay? But we're going to do just an introductory lesson today. So why should we study the Old Testament? Why should we study? First of all, it was the only scripture that Jesus and the apostles had. So this was the only scripture that Jesus and the apostles had. So in Jesus' day, they, you know, first of all, they didn't have the New Testament or the Gospels or the Revelation. What they had was, was the books of the law, the first five books, the historical books, the books of poetry, and the prophets, okay? That's what they had, all right? The scrolls that they had. So it was the only scripture that Jesus and the apostles had. They quoted from it often. They 
continually quote from the Old Testament often. If you read through Paul's letters, he quotes from it often. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for, you know, my next conference overseas, and I'm supposed to teach Romans. And I was just kind of like going through different sections to make sure that I got everything ready for the students who were going to be, the pastors who were going to be there. And I was just shocked by how many times Paul quotes, your Bible doesn't say this is a quote, but he quotes from Isaiah or the other prophets continually. Did you understand? Just looks like to you that he's just writing, but he's quoting from the Old Testament. So you and I need to kind of need to study and have an understanding of the Old Testament because they quote from it all the time. Jesus did. The apostles did. In fact, if you really want to understand the book of Revelation, it's not just Daniel you need to understand. You really need to understand Isaiah. You need to understand Jeremiah. You need to understand Ezekiel. You need to understand some of the other prophets. Because a lot of times the revelator, John, the apostle John, will quote from the Old Testament. Okay? The Old Testament. So, Here's another reason why we want to study the Old Testament or understand it. It's God's self-revelation. It is inspired. So it's not just that little addendum book. Actually, it's most of your Bible, to be honest with you. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is God's Word. It reveals who He is how he acts with people, how he feels about things. It's his revelation of himself to the world. And it's inspired. When Paul says, excuse me, when Peter says that all, when Paul says that all scripture is inspired, what he was referring to was not just the writings of the apostles. He was referring to what? The Old Testament. Okay? So it's inspired by God, the writers of the Old Testament, were moved by the Holy Spirit to write. It was written for us. So this isn't just for Jews. It's for you and I. The Old Testament was written for you and I. Now, as soon as I say that, somebody will say, well, we're no longer under the law. Yeah, you're right. We are no longer under the law. But I want to remind you that If you go to the New Testament, Jesus reiterated most of the law in his teaching, except for the ceremonial law. Did you understand what I'm saying? The moral law is still in place. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's written for you and I, okay? It's written for you and I. Here's the other thing I want you to see. It provides us with the revelation of God himself to humanity. I've already talked about that just real briefly. This is how God reveals himself. So I think it's interesting, Sam, you said earlier, when you read it, you see God's judgment, okay? What do you see God's judgment on? On his enemies, okay? Anybody else? When you read it and you see judgment, what God, what is God judging? Sin. Okay? Because he judges his people, doesn't he? Okay? So, does it give you a concept that God has a very low toleration for sin? 
Yes, God hates sin, and you're right, because he is patient with us, and he was even patient back then. Do you understand? Because he could have wiped them out, but in different places he had to wait till, like, for instance, when he mentions a Canaanite group, he says, until their sins are completed. Did you understand what I'm saying? So it provides a revelation of humanity, excuse me, a revelation of God to humanity, okay? Revelation of God to humanity. So the other thing about this book, this Old Testament that we call it, the Jews don't call it the Old Testament, it provides the story of God's people, Israel. Just being honest with you, when you, you, you can't look at the Old Testament and see that it's talking about the church. You're not going to see that at all. You have to make it say that. Because the church, Paul says, is the mystery. Now a mystery isn't something like, you know, like a mystery movie. It's something that was hidden until it was revealed later. And so the concept of the church, which is what we are, including Gentiles, that didn't show up until who? Jesus. Do you understand? Until the Spirit came. But in the Old Testament, you're going to see the story of who? Israel. Do you understand? Israel, the descendants of Abraham. So, let's go on. It provides us the promise of the Messiah. All the way, even in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, we see from the very beginning there's a Messiah promised. In fact, that's the stud, that's what our study is called. We're talking about God, His people, and the Messiah. So that's our purpose for going through this, because I want you to understand the Old Testament so that when you read the New Testament, you'll have a better understanding of what's going on or why things are taking place and so forth. So, all right. Now, our second section there in our notes is, and we'll, I want to get your feedback as we go through these, is how should Christians respond to it? Okay, so before, before I give you some answers there, let me ask you, how should Christians respond to the Old Testament? Don't worry, your answer is, this is not a right or wrong answer. I just kind of want to get your feedback. How should you, you, reading the Old Testament, how should you respond to it? Okay, Bruce says learn from it. Okay, anybody else? Okay, so Brad, for you, it reveals the character of God over and over. Okay. Anybody else? How, How should you respond to it? Okay, all right, so you think we should be responding to it as we would the New Testament. Okay, all right. Anybody else? There's no right or wrong answer here. Rob. It allows us to know that Jesus is coming and why. Okay, so it allows us to know that Jesus is coming and why. Okay. Anybody else? Mike. Okay, so you looked at it as a history book. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, it puts into perspective what Jesus did for us. That's good, Sue. Okay. Anybody else with a thought? How should we respond to it? 
Okay. Anybody else got a question? I mean, a, a response? I just want to be sure before, because we're going to move on. I'm going to tell you the different responses that there are for them, and I'll make some comments as we go through them, okay? All right, so first of all, there are several historical approaches to the Old Testament. So what I'm about to share with you are historical approaches. These are ways that people have said that you and I as believers, New Testament believers, should approach the Old Testament, okay? Now, so let me go through these. The first one is keep it completely. There are some folks who feel very strongly that you and I are still bound by the law or that you and I should be um, following the law, even down to, are you ready for this, even down to the dietary restrictions. Have you ever heard that? Somebody telling you that you need to eat like the Old Testament? You know what I'm saying? That you need to eat like, you know, I've, I've even seen crazy stuff that you need to eat like Adam and Eve. Really? I'm not sure what fruit was available in the garden at that time. Do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I mean, because it's, things have genetically changed over time. What? Yeah, you, my doctor always tells me every time I go into my yearly physical to follow the Daniel diet. Oh, the Daniel diet. Okay, I've, I've heard of the Daniel fast, which is don't eat things that are pleasant to your eyes. Okay, well, that, that's a good principle, okay? But, you know, you could take it or leave it, right? Are you bound by the Daniel diet? Is everybody here? Are we all bound by the Daniel diet? Bruce says, no way. Okay. Okay, so. Okay, he claims liberty. <laughs> That's a New Testament principle. Okay. All right, so keep it completely. Now, there is a whole Christian denomination. Actually, they're a cult that believes this, and that's the Seventh-day Adventist. You ever met a Seventh-day Adventist? They worship on what day? Saturday, which they call the Sabbath, okay? They also conform their life to the dietary restrictions and other things about the law. They are a cult, and that's because some of their teaching through the years has been heretical, but they try to follow the Old Testament law, and they want you to follow the Old Testament law and so forth. So it's the keep it completely group, all right? Here's the other one, ignore it completely. It, you got one extreme, which is the keep it completely. Then you've got the other extreme, which is the ignore it completely. And so, for instance, this would be somebody, the theological term for them would be a hyper-dispensationalist. Now, we are dispensational in our view of the scripture here, but a hyper-dispensationalist believes very clearly that the church is not bound by anything that has to do with the law or Jews. That is simply for the Jews and not for us. In fact, a hyper-dispensationalist would say, you and I aren't even supposed to read James. Because James was written to who? Jews. You and I aren't even supposed to read the book of Hebrews. Because the, James, the, the book of Hebrews was written to who? Jews. That's a hyper-dispensational viewpoint. So what they would say is, you can't, 
it's wonderful to read, but has no meaning to you. If you get something out of it, that's just for you, but you really don't need to pay attention to it. Okay? So ignore it completely. That's the second response. Here's the third response, and maybe you're going to waver on this one. Okay? Respect it as revelation, but not binding. It's not binding. Respect the Old Testament as revelation, but it's not binding. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the concept that you and I should respect the Old Testament, but we don't really need to be bound by it? It's not binding. Okay, so Bruce, you would say, yeah, kind of, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there are some things that are binding. So for instance, would you throw out the book of Proverbs? Does book of Proverbs have wisdom there for you and I? Did you understand what I'm saying? Um, yeah, actually, would you throw out the book of Job? No, because the book of Job communicates a lot about what? Suffering. Right? Does that have implications? Nobody in the New Testament suffers, right? No? I mean, yeah. So, you, you, so this, this, this is one of those things where, okay, you, you respect it as revelation, but it's not binding. Okay? Again, that would be like almost a hyper dispensational thought. Okay? Here's the next one. It's not a means of salvation. The Old Testament is not a means of salvation. I want to know what your response is based upon your knowledge of the New Testament. What do you think about that? Through their faith. The difference for them was, is what did they have their faith in? Not just God, but in something that was what? In a promise that was, the promise that was coming. Okay, they had their faith in the promise. All right. You know, in fact, Hebrews talks about that Abraham was looking for a city. Did you understand? The New Jerusalem. So it's not the means of salvation. You don't get saved by the Old Testament. So everybody knows that you don't get saved by keeping the law. First of all, from what we know in the New Testament, can you keep the law perfectly? No, even Peter says they, the Jews, couldn't do that. Okay? So really... We know from Paul, but what does it is a it is a help towards salvation because what does the law do? Is it it exposes what in our lives? Sin and our need for Christ, right? Okay? Our need for Christ. But this is one of those viewpoints, it's not a means of salvation. So we would agree with that. However, we would say it helps in understanding salvation, right? Okay? So the Old Testament would reveal what? That we're sinners. You know what I'm saying? And how God views sin, right? Okay? And what God demands because of sin. All right, now, here's one. It's God's revelation to man, and it has a purpose in our lives. Now, how do you feel about that statement? This is one of the, his, this is one of the historical pro- approaches. It's God's revelation, 
and it has a purpose in our lives. Would everybody agree with that? Yeah, that we, we agree. The Old Testament has a purpose in our lives. God still speaks through his word, does he not? And he can show you things through the word to either be an encouragement, to rebuke you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He can still use it in your life. Now, here's one more. It forms the basis for the New Testament, promise to fulfillment. Now, what do you think about that statement? Yeah, Bruce says he agrees. It's exactly right. It is. Because the fulfillment of the Old Testament was found in who? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it forms the basis for the New Testament promise to fulfillment. Now, let's, we're gonna, we're gonna spend the rest of our time now just talking about some basic facts about the Old Testament. Okay, so we're going to just kind of go over some basic things that maybe you didn't know, but uh, we want to make sure that you have an understanding of them, okay? First of all, the Old Testament has 39 books. Okay, 39 books. The largest book would be the book of Psalms, which has 150 Psalms, okay? 150 Psalms. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament. Now, let me ask you a question. Are they all the same? Are they all the same type of book? No. No, because have you read through Leviticus lately? How many of you enjoy reading through Leviticus? Leviticus is not like Genesis, is it? I'd rather read Samuel about David than I would rather read, what, Leviticus? right? They're different types of books, aren't they? Now, because they're different types of books, you have to approach them differently. Do you understand? We sometimes think devotionally that I read everything like I would read the next book. you got to have an understanding of the book you're reading, the type of book it is, why it was written. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that you can glean what the purpose of that book is and understand what's going on with that book. Do you understand how it speaks to you? Okay? So let's take a look here. So the books of the Old Testament are divided into four major groups. Okay? Four major groups. Now, you'll see in the New Testament that Jesus refers to maybe three major groups. Okay? Uh, and But for purposes of a, from a scholarly standpoint, we're just going to say four major groups. Okay? Four major groups. So here, here's what they are. First of all, they are the law, history, poetry, and the prophets. Okay? They are the law, history, poetry, and the prophets. Those are the four major groups. Okay? Those are the four major groups. Now, let's talk about each one of those groups, okay? So the books of the law is also known as the Pentateuch. Penta 
means what? Five. Okay? So the books of the law, the Pentateuch, the books of the law are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, I'm going to point something out to you that I think you're going to, the next time you read through the Gospels, or the next time you read through any of the Apostles' letters, you're going to find this to be interesting. Have you noticed that nowhere does Jesus say, in the book of Genesis, it says. According to Leviticus, it says. Deuteronomy says this. Have you ever noticed it never says that? Have you ever noticed that these five books are not specifically named by Jesus or the apostles? Everybody agree with me? Okay. Now, here's what you will read. The law says, according to the law. Do you understand what I'm saying? According to the law. They, they, when they, when you see the reference, the law, in the New Testament, most of the times it is referring to the first five books, especially when they're quoting from it. It's referring to the first five books because a lot of times when they quote from the books of the law, when they quote from the law, it'll be sometimes a Deuteronomy passage. Sometimes it'll be a, a, a passage from Leviticus. Sometimes he's referring to something that happened with the patriarchs. That's obviously what? In Genesis, right? Okay, so the books of the law are these five books, okay? So th these are the books of the law, all right? So just wanted to make mention of that. The next one is the historical books. There are 12 historical books. Okay, so Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So these are the historical books. Now, you're going to approach the historical books a little bit different than you're going to approach the law because the historical books are simply a record of what took place, of what God wanted you to see from an incident, from a historical thing. They're going to approach it from God's perspective of a historical item. Okay? And so you're going to approach it a little bit different. This is not necessarily doctrine, although you can get doctrine from it. You can use an example of David with Bathsheba to learn something about sin, right? But you're not going to handle it the way David did or how David was confronted or anything. It's not, it's descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? It's descriptive, not prescriptive, all right? Prescriptive means to prescribe what you should do, all right? Now, then there are the books of poetry. There are five books of poetry. Job, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are the five books of Hebrew poetry. Okay? 
And again, these are completely different than a historical book. All right? Now, then there are the books of the prophets. That's our next group, okay? The prophets are divided into two major groups, the major and the minor prophets. So you're going to see that there are major prophets, and then there are minor prophets. Major prophets and minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, these are the books of the major prophets, Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah concerning the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians, Ezekiel, and the book of Daniel. Now, I'm going to give you an interesting point here, just a side note. The Jews do not consider Daniel to be a prophet. Did you know that? The Jews do not consider Daniel to be a prophet. Anybody have a clue why? Because he didn't hold the office of prophet. He was a statesman. Do you understand? To the Jewish mind, he was a statesman. But was the material that he was presenting prophetic? Yes, obviously so, because Jesus referred to it as prophetic. Okay? Here's the minor prophets. Twelve of them. There are twelve minor prophets. Okay? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, whichever way you prefer it to say it, uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi. Okay, so these are the minor prophets. Now, as I share with you the minor prophets, you can divide the minor prophets, this is just something if you want to write it down in your notes, you can divide them into even further three groups of prophets. Okay? And the further three groups of prophets are the prophets that were before the exile, the exile being before the Babylonians took them away and the, took the Jews away into the Babylonian captivity. So you have prophets that were before the exile, pre-exilic. Then you have exilic prophets. Those are, there are some prophets who prophesied during the exile. And then you have what's called post-exilic prophets. Those are prophets who prophesied after the exile, after they returned back to, um, back to Jerusalem. Malachi is a post-exilic prophet, okay? Now, all right, so you got pre-exilic, post-exilic, and post-exilic prophets. Now, with some of the prophets who are pre-exilic, okay, I'm just going to just tell you right now, some of them were prophets to the northern kingdom. Remember the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north, who were defeated by Zennacherib, the kingdom of Samaria, and then there are some prophets, pre-exilic prophets, that were only prophets to Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom. Okay? The southern kingdom. So, those are the prophets. Okay, any questions? Because next week we're going to launch right into Genesis. Okay? We're going to launch into our study. We're going to, we're going to spend a lot of weeks 
going through Genesis, because there's a lot of material there for you to understand. 